Outdoor Explorer on Alaska Public Media. I'm your host, Paul Tordak. On this show, I'm joined by Dave Johnson and his son, Galen, and wife, Carrie. The show is recorded on Zoom with Dave, Carrie, and Galen joining us from their home. In addition, Dave had a stroke a few years ago, which occasionally affects his speech. So listen up to hear some great stories. I am very fortunate to have uh, Dave Johnson, his son Galen, and his wife Carrie Sarah with us today. Uh, Dave has a long history of climbing and being a state park ranger and uh, just a lifetime of stories um, to share with us today. And a lot of it involved uh, Kaylin and Carrie. So uh, welcome to the show, everybody. Great. Um, Dave, uh, let's let's start. Um, just tell us a little bit about how you got um, into mountaineering and sort of your path that led you to Alaska. Sure. My folks met as camp counselors in Maine, and they were both leading hikes up like Mount Katahdin and Mount Washington and a lot of little bumps around New England, mountain in Monadnock, Black Mountain, my favorites. You get up on the granite, you could feel the granite biting into your sneakers. And it was just always a thrill. And the, the Krumholtz, the timberline vegetation is really neat place with tunnels going back into it. Good place to go with girlfriends. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a whole story right there. So yeah. that was out in Maine and the East Coast. That did you then? Um, I think at one point you ended up in Fort Collins. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> Went to college first. Yeah, went to college there. And I got out of New Jersey as quickly as I could. You grew up in New Jersey and then spent summers up in Maine and Vermont area for in, uh, camps. New Jersey, best climbing was up trees. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how you got your start of climbing. That's great. Now, I understand that you went to college in, at Fort Collins, um, and maybe you started something, but it sounded like you did a lot of climbing also. Yeah, occasionally went to school. <laughs> yeah. The climbing was a necessary antidote to getting chilled before tests. Get up there hanging by your fingertips and the significance of of final exams just back in proper proportion. Yeah. What did you, what was your major? What did you study? Uh, forestry, forest uh, recreation. Nice, back to climbing trees. And and when in Fort Collins, um, did you, um, like I, my understanding is that you might've met some of your future or your climbing partners. Who were they and what did you do with them? Oh, Vin Homan was 
he'd been going to school there before me and had quit and gone down to get a logging job down in Southwest Colorado and had enough money to buy a pickup and came up to Fort Collins and talked us into going to Alaska and try to climb Denali. And of course, it sounded like too good a thing to pass up. That was 1963? Yeah, 63, we bailed out of college and climbed Robson on the way up to Alaska. That's the highest peak in the Canadian Rockies. That's great. And that was with Vin Holman. Yeah. And Pete Robinson. And Pete Robinson. Yep. And did you climb Denali then for that first attempt or? Yeah, 63 was a really good trip and got the bug planted even better. That was the first Muldrow West Buttress Traverse, right? Yeah. You walked in from the north side and over and walked all the way out to. All the way to Chalkeaton, really, pretty much. Wow, no planes. Well, actually, we did hop. Cliff Hudson gave us a ride back across the Susitna. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And actually, in those days, you were allowed to have airdrops in the park. So that made it pretty sweet. You could hike in from Wonder Lake and it was just a reasonable size pack without too much gear. And we had Cliff Hudson give us an airdrop at 7,000 feet on the Muldrow. That's us. Continue going up. The biggest fun was Finding caches, scoring all kinds of goodies. <laughs> other people, other parties previous, that are out there. Previous climbs. Yeah. yeah. And there weren't that many people doing it back then either. You're probably up there by yourself. Almost. Although I was chopping a tent platform right in Denali Pass, which is not very intelligent, but as I was bent over, hacking away, I thought I heard voices. And I remember thinking, oh, I don't think that's a good sign. But by golly, it was voices. They were um, a party of the Wickers from Wall guys from Harvard. Oh, wow. Dave Roberts and Rick Milliken. Oh, we had a good time. Yeah, they they might have been surprised to see you. Paperback exchange. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then after that, um, let's go on to the. Uh, was that was that the only time you climbed it, climbed it before the winter ascent? You mentioned um, talking about the winter ascent. So um, that was in '67, uh, right? Yes. And so uh, tell us about that, sort of leading up to that, what the motivation was, and sounds like a crazy thing to do because 
if, if I if I got my memory right, it's not only winter; it was January. <laughs> the '63 trip. Oh, uh, Vin, he was always good at raising the bar, thinking of things to do. We had what turned out was the highest camp in North America. We camped almost on the summit, uh, 50 feet away, maybe or a little more. And we were up there also for the total eclipse of the sun. That was really neat. July 63, yeah. Yeah. You, you can see both sides of the shadow. This big blackness and all the cool colors leading into the black. Oh, cool. Yeah, we, we had delusions of grandeur. <laughs> lots of pictures. Vin's camera didn't work and mine stripped film. And, Oh no. We, we had great hopes of you know, selling pictures to Life magazine and stuff, but didn't come out at all. But I know it was neat sitting up there looking at the, the eclipse. When you came down, though, you've always said that you fell in love with that country and decided you wanted to live there in that lowland around Denali. That's how you started dreaming about getting a place up there, right? North yeah. of Trapper Creek? We hiked out or down the hill through the Dutch hills and down into the neat, rolly spruce country out by Forks, where Forks, Forks Roadhouse used to be. We ate lots of blueberries on the way down and lots of dwarf fireweed makes a really good salad. But after that trip, you went back to school? Back to school, finished school. Oh, jeepers. Yeah, I did go back and finished up school. And lots more climbing, of course. We were always buzzing somewhere or another to go climbing, usually down around Boulder, El Dorado Canyon, and the Flatirons and Maiden and the Matron up behind Boulder. And uh, once got clear down to Shiprock and up to Devil's Tower, and always climbing. Occasionally, school. <laughs> what, what year was it that you went back to that you were a ranger at Devil's Tower? Oh, 64, probably. Uh, mm -hmm. so then you involved in the winter ascent. So, how did you get back up here? You came back up just on your own? We were headed for Southeast Alaska track. Try to earn some money because we didn't have any, any money left. My brother and I took turns hitchhiking and being at the gas station to talk to people. And Steve got a ride and went on down and got a, a job on a fishing boat. One of the people I met was 
from Icefield Ranges Research Project. And uh, he, he said, geez, why don't you just come on up and have some supper and get your position up on the up on the glacier digging holes in the snow. So that, that's where I went. I was back to the mountains. It was a better place to go than fishing or logging or working. I work, but for free. Work for free. <laughs> yeah, and then um, and then they made it back up. How did you meet um, like Art Davidson and um, that crew to get on to the winter ascent? Whose idea was that? Oh, I got a ride up from the Lake Kluwani area back up to Anchorage with a, oh, one of the guys that was head of the program, Don Stocker. We drove up to a little house over in Spinard that Dave Roberts was renting. And that's where I met our Davidson. And uh, Oh, I should write all this down so I can remember it better. Recording it all right now. <laughs> you doing great. And, uh, anyway, right away, he said, hey, you want to go to the Katatna Spires? And, sure. So that was back in the day when serendipity reigned. You just took the a fork that sounded better than this one. And so we signed up right then and there for the Kachatnos and, and then for the winter Denali trip too. That idea had come from, oh, whose idea was it? Shiro? Art and Shiro, yeah. Yeah, Art and Shiro probably. And then Greg Blomberg was real instrumental in getting us lots of free gear. He was a tool maker, CMI, made pitons and hammers and stuff. But he was good friends with the guys who ran Alpen, Alpsport it was first and then Alpen designed and talked him into giving us a bunch of sleeping bags and down coats and tents and all kinds of good stuff. Oh, that was rocking high in those days. Yeah. You're in the big time, big league or something. For those listeners who aren't familiar with it, so that was in, I believe, January of uh, 67. And, um, uh, first winter ascent, and uh, it's written up in Art Davidson wrote a book of, called titled Minus 148. Uh, it's sort of one of the classics of mountaineering literature. Um, what are some of your memories of that and um, thoughts about that after all these years? Well, gosh, it is fun to think about it. Well, sometimes it doesn't seem real. 
And I suppose sometimes when we were up there, it didn't seem real too. <laughs> but the, the title minus 148 is, that's a bunch of bull. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Just, yeah. Anyway. It was only minus 137. <laughs> Who's counting? <laughs> it sounded better to say we were off the end of the chart, even though it wasn't true. <laughs> Poetic license, I guess. Yeah. It was a good title. I, I did watch the, um, it was an event in the Alaska Hall of Fame, and I did watch that. And Dart does give you credit for um, saving his life. Yeah. And um, and so that's a, a going out at, at a moment of you know sort of dire moment. At, and uh, I took it at Denali Pass. Is that where you dug in at? Yeah. Thinking you're going to spend the night, and you end up spending six days um, in some pretty uh, bad wind. Yeah, it was pretty maybe just a steady roar. Mm -hmm. And our packs blew away which was not too great. It's amazing our boots didn't blow away, but it's bloody good they didn't. That would have been a poor event. Mm -hmm. It was a good little temptation for you, Paul. Oh, there you go. The 100 Mountaineering, greatest 100 Mountaineering books. The Mountaineering books, yeah. 148 made its way in there. In there. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, and I think that um. So after six days, you're able to cut down, but you're the rest of your party who was at high camp that's sort of given up on you. Yeah. They left. Yeah, there was food left behind. Thank goodness. But it wasn't for you. It was Shiro's Japanese way of saying this is for the souls of those dear departed, <laughs> but. They ate it because they were really hungry. <laughs> yeah. You hadn't departed. I wish we could have gotten weighed just as soon as we got to the 14. I think we got skinny down pretty good. Yeah, I'll bet. And so you made it down. And um, then did you have to go hike all the way out or were you flown out? I'm embarrassed to see helicopters came along and we, were, we would have felt bad after they'd gone to all the trouble to come in there. We would have felt bad to say no to the ride. So I'm afraid to <laughs> get in and go back to Talkeetna. That was from 14 camp, or? Yeah, well, they picked us up somewhere along there. I forget where it was. It could have been below there. In fact, I think it was down past Windy Corner. That's an amazing story. And uh, for those readers, it's a classic book, Art Davidson's minus 148. Um, this is Paul Tordak. Uh, you're listening to uh, Outdoor Explorer on Alaska Public Media. I'm talking with Dave and Caitlin Johnson and Carrie Sarab about uh, their um, exploits and uh, mountaineering and living in um, up in the Tucking area.
Um, let's move on. Um, and I think the um, there's a lot of other climbs you've done, Dave. Um, you talked about um, the um, the pits around there, the Tacoshas. I think you did some climbing in there also. Is that correct? Yeah. It's a nice little area. Why don't you tell us about what you did there? Oh, peak bagging. <laughs> yeah. A little bump. I still haven't walked around it and crafted out. That's on the list. You got a lot to do. I can figure out how to walk again. We did the first winners in Forker with Brian and. Oh, yeah, we, we climbed Sultana Ridge one winter. That was cool. Real cool, actually, 35 below. Especially with two sleeping bags. <laughs> Who was that with? Well, Brian Ockenetton. Roger Cowles. Roger, yeah. Oh, yeah. So you had two sleeping bags with the three, for the three of you? They spent how many days before Jim brought Roger's sleeping bag? How many days were you? The, luckily, Brian's and Dave's sleeping bags sit together, so they <laughs> squoze all three of them in. Not a good way to save weight, though. <laughs> save weight, but not sleep. It was so hot. You had to all roll onto your left hip at the same time. <laughs> it was not a great way to go. But luckily, uh, Roger's girlfriend was skiing back home to their cabin on the Tokusitna. And she's, their fat dog was down by the river, sniffling around him. Luckily, Becky went down to see what it was. And it turned out to be Roger's sleeping bag. So she grabbed it and ran back up to Swan Lake, and, which is where we flew from. Jim Ockenek flew us in in the Super Cub. But by the time she got there, the weather had pooped out. <clears throat> so it was a couple of days before Jim could fly back in with his daughter, Jamie. She threw the sleeping bag out right amongst a bunch of crevasses. Amazingly, the bag didn't go down any. <laughs> so we had another sleeping bag, which is a real good thing. <laughs> those, yeah, those airdrops are always exciting. <laughs> How long was that trip, the Sultana Ridge winter trip? Oh boy, I don't know. It was another probably three weeks or so. Yeah. I better take notes about all the things I should know. Oh, no, that's all right. That's a lot of calories you all burned on those trips. Makes me hungry to think about it. <laughs> I'm always hungry, though. And then um, uh, from there, Dave, uh, the climbing, but what point did you, is that about when you settled down in um, Chopper Creek or the Talkeetan area? What, what, when, when did that happen? Oh, let's see what was next. 
you were already living there when you went up Foraker with Brian, right? You yeah. and Sally and the kids were already there. Yeah, that transition was, oh, probably. There's a that, lot of history here. He went to Antarctica and on the way you. back, he met a New Zealand lass that he ended up marrying and they did some traveling and then they came back and then they lived in Anchorage and then they settled in in the north of Trapper Creek and started. 68 was Antarctica, I think. Yeah. And 71, 70, 71, they built the little cabin and had a first child and yeah. What, uh, what did you do in Antarctica? Carried rocks. <laughs> <laughs> it was just such a good job, Paul. <laughs> Sort of a geology expedition, but he was kind of the climbing guide slash rock carrier. Ah, uh, see the the link there was I was a ranger down at Glacier Bay, and one of our jobs in quotes was to deliver mail up to the Ohio, Ohio State Party up on Casement Glacier, and there was an Italian scientist there. Like this Theo Ugolini, I still remember his name. He said, Boy, if you guys like climbing mountains, you can get paid for it in Antarctica. So he showed us how to apply to Ohio State and uh, we got jobs down there where I did. And ooh, it was sweet, it was good money. And, the guy you were with was either a PhD or just about. And they got to talk to somebody. So it was like having your private professor. And it was pretty nice. Although Peter Barrett, the, the party leader, this Kiwi guy, he said, now you got to be careful when you get back to New Zealand because there are no women down in the Antarctica in those days. He said, women are going to look different. And I said, yeah, Barrett, oh, that might have happened to you, but it won't happen to me. But it did. <laughs> <laughs> I met a nice lady and managed to meet her up, meet her in Nepal. Went hiking and having a good time in Nepal. <laughs> And then ended up back in Alaska. Yeah, back to Alaska. Um, and so tell us a little bit, we're, we're about ready to take a break here, but um, tell us a little bit about those um, building, uh, built a um, cabin or a place off the grid. Yeah, that was, I don't know if it was a very bright thing to do, but we just squatted out there for 13 years. Huh. It worked out okay, but it was just pure luck. It's not a very bright thing to do, probably. <laughs> and that was before the Parks Highway was built, right? Or right, right when you probably about that time. Yeah. So things were pretty quiet up there. Yeah. Or it snowed a lot, even in those days. <laughs> you wound up working on the highway as it was coming through too, right? 
Yeah, you did I was road a, construction. Yeah. I drove trucks on Park Highway construction. And that was good money. And stay cuffed. And then in 74, when they opened the state park, you were the first ranger, right? You got that job, and that was a yeah, good thing. Serendipity. Let's um, come back to that. We're going to take a short break. Uh, this is Paul Tordak, um, Outdoor Explorer. I've been talking with Dave and Kaylin Johnson and Carrie Sayre. We'll be right back with more Dave's stories. You're listening to Outdoor Explorer on Alaska Public Media. Find the show anytime as a free podcast in the iTunes store or connect with us online at alaskapublic.org. Outdoor Explorer. I'm Paul Torlach, your host. We're uh, sitting here with Dave and uh, Caitlin Johnson and Carrie Sarah. Uh, it, during the break, uh, Dave, you mentioned climbing the ice cream cone in the um, Tugach Mountains. You want to talk about that? Tell us that story. Oh, yeah. It was. Oh, that was after the winter climb. <clears throat> Because I had real tender feet from the frostbite, and we didn't know how to get across the Matanuska River. So we borrowed a boat from some old guy on the river, Joe Crosscabbage, his name was, which is neither here nor there. It was just this plywood rowboat. We put our gear in there, and then we got in it. The thing proceeded to have water come aboard. <laughs> and so we wound up just kind of swimming this boat across the river, <laughs> pushing it. It was not very fun for my feet, but we got across okay and went over to Carpenter Creek, I think it is. Maybe. Yeah, I think so. And that took us up right up behind uh, our peak. That was a fun climb with Hans von der Lund and John Samuelson. They were uh, good partners because they, they didn't want to turn back. It is. This was over 4th of July, and it snowed a bunch, and the, the route was all plastered with snow, so you had to mush around to find any way to get some protection in. It was uh, probably the hardest leading I ever did. Well, we got to the top, okay, and uh, it was kind of an exciting trip because we always had the river crossing as the finale, and that wasn't anything we were 
not anything I was looking forward to. <laughs> but we made it back okay, obviously. The days before pack rafts, things were a little yeah. <laughs> Sometimes those rivers are the, the hardest part of it. Yeah, I think winter time is the best time to cross that river. Yeah. Your skin graft fell off after that. Mm -hmm. Fell off your toe, didn't it? Yeah, but I had a skin graft on the end of my big toe. And it came loose. So I went back to the doctor who put it on at the native hospital. And he just kind of rolled his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I think I had asked him if it was okay to go climbing yet. He knew he was dealing with a, somebody with a couple of cards short. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, determination is a, is, a, is a character of a good climber, a successful climber. The Indian Hospital was a wonderful place. And that was all thanks to a doctor up in Fairbanks at UAF who had done some tests on us before the trip and afterwards they had put us on treadmills and that was the hardest part of the winter Denali trip I think in a lot of ways yes. on the treadmill in a little tiny room and my head was up near the ceiling and the, the guy running the treadmill was a smoker oh no it was just awful <laughs> so after that, let's. Uh, Clary mentioned before the break uh, your state park ranger. You're the first Denali state park ranger. Um, what were some of the highlights there? I, I understand that you helped build or built the uh, Kasuki Ridge Trail. Is that correct? Yeah. And we even got paid for it. That's even more me. <laughs> and we're just up there playing around in the tundra. And building little cairns. The U is Pete Robinson mm -hmm. and George Menard and you, the three of them were a team of trail meisters. We were all from CSU. Yeah, so it was just amazing. We had such a good boss. He just trusted us to, to work hard and we did. Our boss would show up and he was from, he was a Mormon guy from Utah and he hated mosquitoes. He'd sit in his truck and roll down the window just to hear, turn the blower up all the way. Swatting at the mosquitoes. Um, he hated it. And we had a, another boss who was a, he was a big Hawaiian fellow, Russ Cahill. He was amazing. The first time I met him, we were going through the garbage as usual. I had just found a, a burger in the garbage and I was eating that. <laughs> this, this guy pulled up and he was just this huge guy in a Hawaiian shirt with sunglasses. And it never occurred to us that he could be director of state parks. <laughs> <laughs> he was, oh, he was a good guy. Your story about Pete was that he would gauge the economy by how many pigs he could feed off the state park garbage in the summer. <laughs> 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 
Uh, we need to write down the stories of Denali State Park. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go on a little bit. There's a lot. We've gone for a long, long time here. Uh, but I'm also really want to get into your family stories and some of the stuff you did with your family. Um, now, I think, for instance, let's um, at one point, I think Carrie and you did uh, uh, skied from, did a big ski trip. Is that right? At least one, maybe more. Which one? <laughs> Which one? Well, yeah, name one. I think about some of the, some of the around Nome, you know, look yeah. to Nome. Is that right? Most recent one was just we, our niece was living in Koyuk and we spent the Iditarod time there watching the dog teams go by and then we skied to Nome. That was pretty fun. That's our most recent ski trip. Yeah. Um, oh, what was I thinking? Oh, Dave started high pointing. I was going to get into the high point trip. Oh, right. Yeah. Started doing high points with Dan Homan and then he realized that he could probably finish them and could probably be the only one to do them all in the winter since he had already been up Denali in the winter. So when Galen was two, not quite three, we started doing um, winter trips around the lower 48 and bagging high points. And some of them Dave had to do by himself like Katahdin because I mean, he's a not, he was not even three yet. He was still two. and. And we weren't going to try and go up Katahdin in the winter. So that was interesting because Baxter State Park had some pretty strict regulations. Like you had to have a minimum party of four and a minimum um, backup party, rescue party of four. And we weren't that. So <laughs> yeah. we had to kind of drive into this gravel pit. And then Galen and I just played around for the day. And Dave took off up the peak. <laughs> We set up camp after, you know, it started to get dark and gosh, at 10 30, 11 o'clock at night, Dave still wasn't back. And I thought, well, okay, um, <laughs> there's no way I can go rescue my sweetie because um, I have no idea where he is. And I've got this three-year-old, two-year-old with me. And so we just kind of went to bed and eventually he came back down. Do you want to tell what happened on the high point of Katahdin? High point of Maine. Oh, Maine. Yeah. Um, well, luckily, we bought a map that morning. <laughs> and uh, I got to the top with no trouble. Right at last light, about 5.30 at night. And I started down just dead reckoning, heading into the wind. And... Uh, got into a little saddle and felt disoriented. So I thought I better get out the map and see what I can make of that. Um, you went back to the summit because yeah. that was the only known point. Yeah, right? the only place I really knew where I was in this saddle. I had no idea really where I was. So I went back up and hid behind the the summit cairn, there's this huge cairn up there, end of the Appalachian Trail, and got out the map and my little compass and pretty quick realized that the compass declination was 45 degrees. Except for Alaska. Yeah. Except for Alaska still. Oops. So I sat down behind the cairn 
been out that little brass screwdriver. Oh boy. Hooked up the declination and came back down okay. I was very relieved when he yeah. down there at two or three in the morning and yeah. So this were the the high points of all the 50 states. So they you did them in winter and the family did them all um, somewhere in winter. Yeah, some of them we could do in the winter. Even when he was three, we did yeah. a few of them because you could either drive up or it was a short walk. Ohio was a mean one for Dylan. He was, he was sleeping and he did not want to wake up and get out of the car. Was it raining? No, I don't think it was raining, but... Yeah, he was not a happy camper. Do you have any memory of this, Galen? <laughs> not those. Do you have any, any intention of going back and repeating them? Like, you know, <laughs> so uh, you dig up any memories? Maybe. Maybe some fun ones. There's yeah. definitely, some of them are really beautiful hikes and climbs and yeah, definitely fun to go back and visit those. But there's others that I, I don't know that I will make it back to the high point of Florida, for instance. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I almost fell off of that one. There's a marble monument that I slipped off of. <laughs> Great. Almost died in the high point of Florida, but you made it up to Nolly at what age? Eleven. <laughs> Eleven. So let's talk about that trip. That was that a family trip also? It was. Yeah. Mama wasn't in on the initiation of the trip. It was these two guys. But, you know, when your child's 11, you don't really want him to go off for a month without you. So I got, I got roped in. You got roped in. Quite literally. <laughs> Quite literally. And that right in between the two of us. I was, I didn't weigh enough to stop anybody on a rope team. So <laughs> but, <yeah>. one <laughs> and you Poor. left going down a lot of the time poor Galen is he's the only one who really knows how to ski very, very well and oh it's amazing he put up with us <laughs> I, <laughs> think, I think he had a knife too he probably could have cut himself free <laughs> this, he get to these slopes where you could have skied down if you had any ski prowess and we're doing these he did and he great, didn't great. Huge kick turn sort of traverses. <laughs> Half the time, our we didn't our skins were siliconed on, so we couldn't pull the skins off. And half the time, my skins were so glommed up that I was just running. It was uh, oh. <laughs> not what I would describe as fun skiing. <laughs> running up was, and downhill. <laughs> and that was in 01, and you're still all talking to each other. So uh, it must have gone pretty well. <laughs> You know, what was the highlight of that for you? For me? Yeah. Um, oh, gosh. A couple of highlights, I guess, come to mind. One was at 14 camp. Uh, Merrick Johnston, who's not a relation, but is the youngest girl to have summited, was there guiding a trip. Um, yeah. Merrick's a super strong snowboarder, backcountry skier. And uh, the... Um, the National Park Service guys, I think it was, had little snow skates, like little mini skateboard snowboards. <laughs> yeah. And Merrick entertained, humored me, and we ripped all over camp on those little things. Oh, fun. Um, it's just the, the little <laughs> differences from the daily moving on Denali are, are what make it special, the meeting new people and um, 
interacting with everybody who's up there. Everybody is quite curious about the little tiny human <laughs> running around camp. <laughs> Where did you come from? <laughs> we yeah. traveled pretty light because we had as much gear as three adults, but we had kind of two and a half carriers. And yep. he couldn't, you know, sleds had a lot of fluff on them just because he was small. And um, so we would have a lot of instant oatmeal kind of breakfasts. And we were camped at 14 next to a guided party. And you could hear him saying, anybody want more bacon? Who wants <laughs> <laughs> and they're both drooling. And <laughs> Another packet of instant oatmeal. Oh, joy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Rangers fed you some pancakes, yep. didn't they? they yep. That real maple circle. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's there were a great. lot of people at 14 who were headed down who had extra food, and um, this guy went trick or treating. Came <laughs> 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 back with a whole bunch of different snacks. Just, for the rest just of variety, the just something out. that wasn't yeah. the same food that we'd been eating for the last two weeks was yeah. so nice. <laughs> An Icelandic group. Had this big block of Havarti cheese. <laughs> and oh, could you guys use this? Oh man, it was just so good. <laughs> you go if there's a depression. <laughs> <laughs> we might have been heavier going down than we were going. <laughs> Pretty sure we brought an entire five pound block of Havarti cheese down <laughs> the mountain with us. <laughs> had a, a huge bag of super high end candy bars. Yeah. It's really good trick-or-treating up there. Yeah. <laughs> the summit for the the summit day, we were at 17 with a whole bunch of other parties, but Dave didn't feel well on the clear day when we could have summited and all the other parties went to the summit and back and then started down. And so we went the next day and we were all by ourselves and it was magical. Hmm. We we crested the the rise where you can first see the what's on the east side of, of Denali. And I mean, I just burst into tears. It was so beautiful. And oh, I, I didn't ever think I would be there. And I think I said something like that. I never thought I'd be there. <laughs> <laughs> and then Galen led to the summit the rest of the way up the summit ridge. And that was really special. Yeah. Dave, and what are your memories of that trip besides the cheese? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, Galen really enjoyed the, the radio, too. <laughs> yeah. There was a show, you, do you remember the name of that show? There was a children's show on Rabbit Ears Radio or something like that. that oh, yeah. You get the radio at that time of the day, and Dave would have it for another time, and I would have a special show that we took a little transistor radio we could listen to now and then listen to kdna talkeetna yeah um that's great and so you were 11 so that was 01 um what other family trips um are are, are, are memorable or you'd like to share before the denali trip we had a really good hike around in nepal up there was base camp all the see how Galen would do at altitude. And we should have known he ran circles around us just the same as at home. <laughs> Didn't matter if you were at 18,000 feet or sea level, 
we stopped in Japan on the way back from there and visited Shiro's widow Sachi Nishimai. <laughs> and that was really special. And she went partway up Mount Fuji with us. So we climbed Fuji-san. That was, I think, my first time on First crampons. time on crampons. For, yeah. <laughs> in Japan. <laughs> and Dave, another thing I noticed I had is, um, you, did you try the solo Denali also? Yeah, tried this the word. When was that? I always wanted to try skiing in from our cabin. And that part went okay. I got up to 13,000 up around Windy Corner, I guess. And then I had a snow cave down at 11.8. And uh, I had dug the thing when the wind was from some direction and the wind changed and it was blowing in the entrance. So I went out in my down booties to try to fix up the entrance a bit. And I refroze my my frozen toe from the winter trip. And uh, decided not to continue because I didn't think there's any way in the world I'd stay warm up high. So I skied back home again, 75 miles. In your same tracks, it hadn't snowed that whole time. Huh? It was amazingly lucky. <laughs> like the tracks that had come. <laughs> <laughs> was that a winter attempt also? Yes. That was 86. He wanted to try it in 84, but Naomi Uemura was lost on Denali in that winter. And he decided to go and do a solo winter ascent of Mount Sanford instead. That was a And that trip. trip did go okay. Like I made it to the top. <laughs> oh, good. Um, and, and that solo trip, um, were you, what precautions were you taking? I know like, Burn would take a ladder, did you have anything like that? Or, oh, that would have been too intelligent. <laughs> yeah, I had a made kind of a thing made. Actually, I designed it, I guess. There's a pre stressed truss of aluminum tubing tensioned with stainless steel, kind of like building a hang glider. And Mike Jacoby, I think the guy's name was, who was a hang glider builder, built the thing and it attached to my pack frame. And it also was a, a hitch for the two sleds I pulled. And it also was a frame for the tent that we built. Oh right? yeah. Bridget was her name. <laughs> yeah, Bridget was this. <laughs> Ridiculous thing. How long was Bridget? 10 feet. Oh, more. More than that, 15 feet? 20. 20 feet. 10 in front, 10 behind. Effectively a ladder, but yeah. much lighter. And if there were any crevasses, I would put in some protection and go out on a fixed line on a Juma. And uh, so it was pretty, felt pretty safe. And it was not too hard to drag around, but Tejas is 
ladder arrangement was probably a better multitasker sort of a setup because he could come home and clean out his gutters. <laughs> did you ever go into did you ever have to use it? No. The plan was I would rappel down into the crevasse and then climb back out. We laid to this thing. Luckily, I never got had to try. Ah, yeah. And I was always on skis. If you're just by yourself, you pay pretty close attention, so you don't have to try it. <laughs> We're uh, getting close to wrapping up here, time-wise. Um, I guess I, I don't know from Carrie and Galen. Uh, what what are your like thoughts about living this life and um, let's say there's a, a you know family out there that wants to take their kids on all the all the adventures you've done. Any any advice for them? So I'm I'm a coach for APU Nordic Ski Center. I coach kids the same age that I was when I was doing these climbs, and you see kids that are capable of it. Um, biggest thing is having having in your family having a rhythm of being outside of winter camping of that that repetition of set up take down tents and camp and being able to be on the move and have that having that become a routine um was something that i didn't i took for granted i think when i was growing up um the the long the three four month trips that we'd go on even car camping but every single day you'd set up camp and break down camp and it becomes absolute routine that there's everything's just muscle memory so then it leaves space for the stuff that you really need to be paying attention to when you're out on a climb or on a long ski trip of just the the things that keep you safe in the long run and I um, was many years later, it was, I was 18 or 19, uh, 19, I think I got to climb Moose's Tooth with Jason Buttrick. Um, and it was really the first climb that I'd done without these guys. Um, and I think that was the first time that it kind of started to sink in just how fortunate and how much of a gift I've gotten over the years um, that I was able to grow up this way is something that's jump-started the rest of a life outdoors. And whether that's as in-depth as it was for us or whether that's just backpacking in the Chugach and getting your family outside every day, um, that's, a, that's a huge gift. I'm incredibly thankful for that. What a nice kid you can tell he takes after his mom. Terry, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. any thoughts? We had a lot of good times skiing back and forth to the, to the car or to the school bus. Yeah, we didn't even touch on that. We were a mile <laughs> off the road. We yeah. groom the groom the uh, driveway yeah. as a ski trail in the wintertime. That's where I got my start skiing. <laughs> nice. 
this time of year. It's not where you got your start skiing, though. You got your start skiing before you could even walk. He that got his start skiing before he could even walk. <laughs> yeah. this little teeny stupid hole in the wall cabin that didn't, it had maybe three feet between the table and the stove. And I couldn't let him learn to walk in there. It was too scary because it was winter and, you know, oh, yeah. he could get burned. Yeah. So he, I'd put him on skis and put a long scarf across his chest and hold on to him and let him toddle around outside. <laughs> so he was literally skiing before he could walk. You know, and climbing the ladder in the, in the stupid little cabin up to the loft. He could climb before he could walk. His first there. word was up. Oh. <laughs> no wonder I feel bad at walking. <laughs> <laughs> I come to think of it, I never see you walking, Caleb. You're always on skis. On skis or running, there's no in between. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you all very much. Uh, this has been uh, very, very interesting. I want to get together and hear your stories, Paul. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I don't have nearly as much um, that, that you all do. But, uh, well, well, we'll wrap this up. This has been an outdoor explore. I've been with uh, Dave and Caitlin Johnson and Clary Sarah talking about their amazing life of uh, climbing and Dave's um, first winter ascent in, on a Denali and a lot, a lot of other adventures. We could go on and on, but I really appreciate your time. <laughs> Thank you for having us. Thanks for putting this together. Thanks for being organized. Thanks for listening at the Magus Dave and Galen Johnson and Clary Sarab. Finally, a bit dense to our producer, Eric Bort. This is your host, Paul Tordock, and from all the hosts at Outdoor Explorer, climb with care and confidence, and we'll see you outside. Outdoor Explorer is a production of KSKA Public Radio in Anchorage, Alaska. Theme music is by Portugal, The Man. Views expressed are those of the participants and do not reflect the station or its underwriters. You can find Outdoor Explorer on Facebook and in your favorite podcast app. To see what's coming up on Outdoor Explorer and add your voice to the conversation, go to our website at alaskapublic.org. Life Informed, this is Alaska Public Media.